venture capital isn't like, oh, you just go to school and then you get the job. It is an apprenticeship. You don't really get credibility or people won't invest in you unless they know. And it's not even just like, do you know how to make an investment? Do you know the right people? Do you have a good reputation with the right people? And when I say the right people, I'm not talking about the flashy celebrity. I'm talking about somebody who's a baby boomer, who's been a VC. Do they know that you've put in your the time? How badly do you want it? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Get Carried Away, where I feature game changers, thought leaders, disruptors, women who are out there as a force to make change in our beautiful world. With me today is Renata Moreno, and we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is money and investing. So welcome, gorgeous. How are you? Good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. I'm so glad Catherine Gray introduced us. Catherine Gray, I feel like, is the Kevin Bacon of entrepreneurs. <laughs> it's like, how many degrees are you away from Catherine Gray? <laughs> She's amazing. She is unbelievable. And I can't wait. I, my podcast with her is coming on September. So I'm really excited. Awesome. Okay. Well, this will probably be out around that time too. So it's a two okay. for everybody. After Great. you listen to this, I want you to go listen to Invest in Her. Catherine Gray's episode with Renata. Yay. Well, then let's change it up a little bit because I know she didn't ask you this, which your path into venture capital, you know, kind of where you are today. If I would have asked 11 year old you what you wanted to be when you grow up, is this what you would have said, a venture capitalist? Definitely not. Definitely not. I think 11 year old me, and I actually just wrote about this in my book. I'm writing a book that's coming out probably early next year. I was right. The chapter I was writing this morning was about finding your sole purpose. And I think all of us as women and men, we're always wanting to know what's our life purpose? What's our sole purpose? And I think right around that age, that's when my I was having some trouble reading with reading comprehension. And my mom was my advocate for taking me out of the school that I was in and kind of pleading to my dad, let's put her in private school where she has a smaller, you know, some more attention in reading. And I think with girls, especially with confidence, and I have a, a girl, a, you know, a little girl, whatever. And, you know, we want them to have confidence and build confidence early. And that's when the 11 year old me was put into an all girls school, middle school. And that's where I really started having a voice. So I think at that age, I just wanted to be confident. And I think that was the first, if I had to talk to my 11-year-old self, I just want to be confident in who I am and feeling comfortable in my skin. Wow. So you went to an all-girls middle school and, you know, we hear about, you know, all the drama and everything that's happening. You know, was it, was it a supportive community? Was there any like competition between the girls? Yeah, I mean, you're right. I do I do see that a lot. I think for me, the, the I went to a Sacred Heart school, so it was it was Newton Country Day School of the Sacred Heart in Newton Mass and it's part of a global network of 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 women and it's taught by, you know, religious nuns and also just independents, but it was really the five goals of the Sacred Heart was really fostering a sense of community. I think the type of women, the girls that they at the time and I'm sure now admit is part of the application process is you know, are you a team player? You know, are you sure. an individual? I mean, of course, you're going to have some catty things happen in, in middle school and high school. But I think overall, the things that we focused on was community service, working together, 
And, you know, I was big, a big leader on the soccer team, on the soccer field and sports and lacrosse. So I think that was a big part of kind of my identity and leading on in the, in, on the soccer field or on the lacrosse field. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I was pretty independent. I mean, you know how, you don't know how you're going to be. I was really into my own like academics and sports, not really into the social scene, maybe kind of nerdy, nerdy, sporty. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, so I, I wasn't in the drama scene. Yeah. So some people get all wrapped up in the drama. I, I wasn't. I was more like, okay, I need to do well in school. I'm really lucky to be here. My parents are sacrificing, you know, to put me here. And, you know, I was just more kind of an independent, had a couple girlfriends, but not like into the scene. Right, right, right. That sounds like me. <laughs> Actually, yeah. <laughs> um, you were more sporty spice. I get it. <laughs> 40 spice. Definitely. Yeah. Kind of, and I think there's actually a statistic out there. I don't know who reported this, but I think it's female soccer players. That there's a higher percentage of CEOs that were former female soccer players. And I think it has a lot to do with leadership, communication, working with different, you know, skill sets, working together and collaborating. To, for, uh, yeah. <laughs> and you just have to be tough. You have to be tough. Yeah. Did you watch the world cup at all? I watched, a li- I watched a little, not a lot, but it was, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, they made it pretty far, but I mean, it's, it's nice to see some of the older players, the ones that are retired supporting the younger players. Yeah. I think it's incredible. I think it's, I, my son plays soccer. So we watched the world cup and everything. And it was, uh, he was a little devastated that they're, they were out already, but I said, it's a new team. It's a, it's a, it's a lot of newbies and some retiring Megan, you know, Rapone is re- retiring and she's fantastic. But it was, I think one of my favorite moments is at the end of her last game, her mom was there and they had this moment where they were hugging and you could tell she was just holding her and telling her what a good job she did and everything. And it's like, doesn't matter your age. We still need hugs and reassurance from our moms and our girlfriends and the people in our community. Totally. Um, yeah. It's a really powerful moment. Okay. So 11 year olds kicking the soccer ball, doing her work. What led you to where you are today? Did you go to college or are you self-starter? Like, tell me about what happened next to get you where you are right now. Sure. So that strong voice on the soccer field led me to become president of my high school where I was always on the stage speaking. And I think what happened was I remember, and this is leading me, this is still in the high school phase, but um, again, same all girls school morphing into the high school era. And I remember, and this, you can resonate, this kind of relates to your first question is there wasn't a lot of spirit in the school. And I noticed it was a popularity contest to be, you know, president of the school. And I didn't want to participate in that. And I felt like I saw who was running and I'm like, that's it. That's going to be our president there. She does. She doesn't even have, and she was a nice person, but I'm like, she doesn't have, no one's going to get motivated. So I asked a fellow Latina who was a junior one year below me, do you want to be vice president? Do you want to run together? She's like, we'll never, ever win. We'll never win. Are you sure? I'm like, who cares? Let's just throw our hat in the ring. And it was a landslide. We, and she, we were crying. We were so happy, but that was like my, you know how you have these times in your life where you're like, you can do it. You do it for the right reasons. You don't do it for the reasons. And that was kind of the first step of, okay, leadership, speaking, 
um, you know, and motivating a group of people that believe in you. And so um, that was kind of the impetus of leading women. And I'm sure you can resonate with this. And then that led me into college. I went to Bowdoin College. I was an athlete at Bowdoin, learned, um, which was incredible. I, I think I wrote this in my book, being in the front row in class and raising my hand and then the teacher calling on someone behind me and hearing this deep voice because I'm not used to guys in the classroom. Right. The hardest thing, I'm like, who is that? And then, <laughs> um, and then um, went into investment banking. I was raised as one of three daughters where girls can do anything. There were no boy jobs. There's no girl jobs. And I always said, you know, I was in a liberal arts college at Bowdoin in Maine. And my parent, I had a connection in, in a, at State Street Bank. And I'm like, oh, investment banking. So I was one of three women at a team of 30 in investment banking in the mid nineties. And I remember being in a conference room with a bunch of guys and senior men, and I was an analyst and I literally had no idea what they were saying. And I was mute. And so I, the writing was on the wall. And I said to myself, Renata, you need to go and take night classes at Harvard extension school and learn accounting, debit, credit, you know, learn this stuff on the side. So when you're in a room with a bunch of men who are speaking and talking the talk and walking the walk, you can participate in the conversation. So I think a lot of us women, when we're in male dominated industries, it's our job to get up to speed, to be, whether it's twice as educated, twice as smart, twice as prepared so that we can actually have a seat at the table. We can participate. We can add value in the conversation and not just be there silent. So that was kind of my first, let's get caught up into this world of finance. Um, and then from there, I actually went and worked after four years in banking, worked for this, I was 26. I worked in tech in 99 for the CEO of Reebok um, for a online tech footwear customization project where you could get your foot scanned and your you'd be able to oh. go into a kiosk, write your name on the shoe and get your a customized shoe shipped to your house. So I brought all the number crunching since I had it in banking and got exposed to this amazing world of tech, which back then they did not call it tech. They called it .com. Right. Um, this kind of dates myself. And then I'm like, oh my God, I need to be in tech innovation. Let me let me go back to business school, get my MBA. And so I applied. I, I got into Booth, Chicago Booth, which is the number one business school in the world. Got a partial scholarship there. And focus primarily on new product development, stage gate, new product development, which is entrepreneurship inside companies. And so that was my first exposure to entrepreneurship. And that was early 2000s. So again, it's like closer and closer, taking all these little pieces of my life these moments and adding them, building. And you know this too, like we all, we hope our kids are exposed to this, especially girls where you just say, okay, I really love this. And then, okay, I don't like this, but I like this. And you keep building on it. And then all of a sudden you get to maybe, I don't know with the venture capital. Now I see how everything fits together. Um, but back then I'm, I was just kind of going with what it lights me on fire. I love that. Go with what lights you on fire. Um, and do you think that, you know, that tenacity that you, and that natural curiosity you have, is that something you were just kind of born with? Was it just, you just, I've always had that gung ho, like I'm going to figure this out personality. Yeah. I think it's more, it's, it, yeah. I think the, the inquisitiveness, like, can you, you, you said it really clearly, um, it's a drive. I think I have this inner drive 
to be a lifelong learner. And I think, I don't know, I think it's a combination of DNA, how, what I was born with uh, and my personality coupled with how, what, how I was taught. So maybe nurture, was it nature and nurture combined? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, a you know, my parents are like the never give up attitude. Like we don't give up in this family. Like if you get injured in a sport, you're going to go to therapy and heal and you're going to try out again. So it's a combination of the never give up upbringing with a quest for knowledge and becoming an expert. So one of the things I don't like feeling is un, um, like kind of what I said in a room and you don't know what everyone's saying. Yeah. Like I get very uncomfortable. So I'm like, okay, I don't have, I'll just be silent and listening. But in the background at night, I'm like literally studying and because yeah. I, I want to be able to contribute. Sure. And yeah. And you are, are very capable of that. I think a lot of women would get stopped by that and be like, oh, I don't know what they're talking about. Why am I even here? And then they get the imposter syndrome that sinks in and everything. It doesn't sound like this one right here. (laughs) You ever suffered from that? (laughs) Yeah, no, I definitely. And you know what's so great? Maybe it's because I'm a, I think it's because I've always worked in male dominated industries. I've always been in industry, whether it's an academic setting or an industry, I've always been in very tough environments. I've always been put to the test, like a firing squad. So I'm trained. It's almost like I'm trained in the military. I'm trained to be in a high pressure situation. I started from an academic standpoint and then went right into the toughest industries, you know, investment banking, manufacturing, PL responsibility at age 30, and now venture capital. So I've an, an entrepreneurship, like I've always been used to uh, being under fire or in just high pressure situations. So me, anything less than that is just boring for me. I'm, I just get bored and I'm not a, um, me, I don't know. I just like being, uh, and, and, and now, and not to be to, to my own horn, but I mean, I, I should toot my own Please, horn. Please. That's why there's this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> no way. <laughs> well, I mean, this, I'm pretty humble person, but when it comes to, and I'll, I'll tell you my journey to VC, so we tie the, tie the knot here, but so that entrepreneurship exposure le- led me to um, launching a couple startups, um, worked for an entrepreneur. And actually, since we're on a, a, a podcast about women, and I'm sure mothers are, are listening as well, I was in corporate, had global PL management, which means I was doing new product development um, for life fitness, for CPG companies, for durable good companies, as one of the only females leading mostly male-dominated teams. Like when I say cross-functional teams, that includes software, electrical, mechanical, all guys, finance, yeah. Um, yeah. maybe one other woman. And then when I got married and pregnant, when I was in corporate, I was like, oh my God, should I get a nanny? What do I do? Like I panicked and I needed more time. And I asked my senior team, which was mostly guys at the time, 2007, can I um, not travel for six months till I get my, or a year to get used to this, this thing called motherhood. And they said, no, you, and I wanted someone else to travel like a junior person just for a year. No, you have to take a step down in pay and position. And that's when I'm like, I'm out of here. And that quite honestly, people say like, oh, how did you get into entrepreneurship in 07? I said, I was kind of forced out of corporate because I wanted more flexibility as a mother. I wanted to be present with my child and exercising my brain. So I worked for an entrepreneur and then just got the bug, launched an MBA admissions consulting business, scaled that. And then kind of like you in 2000, well, I wrote the business plan in 2012. 
and then launched Blaze and Babes, which is a female founder community helping women. And at the time we, we were a networking community and we started small. And then I, it was really helping women in career transition. It was less about founders, but 80% of our women after two years, I, I it was almost like an MVP. 80% of them were all either small business, female founders in tech, consultants, real estate. I mean, you know, you name it. And so we pivoted all our programming to support these women. We included PR, speakers, events, very similar to your platform. And now we're relaunching um, to be more national and less Illinois-focused or Midwest-focused. Sure. But um, but what what ha- what's happened is since those days of entrepreneurship, I mean, of, of Blazing Babes, I've noticed and it's not a a nonprofit, it's a for-profit. You pay a fee to be a member. I noticed two of our women became venture-backed and had exits. And I said to myself, whoa, 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 whoa. I want to invest in these women. I don't want to just get their membership fee. I want to invest in these women. So that's when I morphed into six years ago, five years ago, becoming, I call it an adult intern, for scouting for other VCs, taking VC classes, even though I had an MBA from the number one business school, even though I was in investment banking, even though, you know, finance, I know left and right, venture capital is an apprenticeship business. It is, if you want credit and you, you said it, Renata, you, you go after everything. You, like you want to be, you always, you want to be well-versed in every subject. This is what happened. I'm like, no, no, if I'm going to be in venture capital, I want to have credibility from the entire United States or even global venture capital, yeah. which means I should I need to work for free for the top VC funds. I'm going to bring them deals. I'm going to work for founders for free. I'm going to help them with their pitch deck because I already know how to do that. I'm going to mentor, judge, and scout for all the accelerators. Literally, I did that for five years. And so now what what's inter- interesting and what I found, especially as a female, or not even as a female, just as a, any regular VC person, is that I say this all the time. I've said this in interviews. I see the entire US VC ecosystem as 80-20. 80% are used car salesmen. 20% actually know what they're doing. And that's because, <laughs> no, I'm serious. And I'm not trying to be an elitist. It's just because I, I'm smart and I ask a lot of questions. And so now I know who to syndicate deals with. Now I know who are the people that um, know what they're doing, that actually have a process in their in their, in their approach, in their investment approach. Um, I know which regions of the U.S., their strategies, which funds focus on certain things. So, and the other thing is, you know this with networking and especially myself is your recommendations to other people like Catherine, like you, reflect your credibility and reputation. So if, if I'm going to make an introduction and you're like, who was that? Right. You know, like I want to be credible in this industry. So um, this has a lot to do with learning that venture capital isn't like, oh, you just go to school and then you get the job or, you know, it's, it is an apprenticeship job and you, you don't really get credibility or people won't invest in you unless they know. And it's not even just like, do you know how to make an investment? Do you know the right people? Do you have a good reputation with the right people? And when I say the right people, I'm not talking about the flashy celebrity. I'm talking about somebody who's been an event, you know, a guy who's a baby boomer, who's been a VC. Yeah. Does, you know, does he know that you know, you, you know your business? You Not only that, he or she, do they know that you've put in your the time? 
Mm-hmm. How badly do you want it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, let me ask you this. Did, if they're the, if someone's listening and some of bra members are, are, they have their own fund and they are venture capitalists. What mistake? Well, no, let me ask you this way. What advice would you give to someone who's about to pitch, about to go in front of you, about to go in front of their first round? They've already done their angel. They've already got friends and family. Like what's something that you would say, you've got to make sure you have this. Well, I would say the number one thing that I always look for, especially in the early stages, especially if it's after angel investing and they've proven that, okay, people, this is, this is a legit business. What is your why? Why are you doing this? Um, you really need to have a really compelling reason. Cause one of the things that happens with early stage investing, as we know, during COVID there may be, you need to lo- want it, love it so bad that you're willing to pivot. So if, it, if, if you don't, if it's not like your baby, this, this startup isn't your baby and we can't tell that it is, then that's, that's a big red flag. That's a very qualitative, um, mm-hmm. metric to measure, but that's the first thing that I look for. And then, um, you know, I like, I'm kind of a traditionalist. I like to see a really good pitch deck. And so one of the things that, I mean, at Blazing Babes, we actually help train um, women, female founders on how to put a good pitch deck together. But most, if you can, and you're you're not part of Techstars or you're not part of an accelerator or you, you don't have the funds and you don't want to spend the money, I would not hire someone to do a pitch deck, is try to look for mentors that could be your maybe informal advisors that can help you mm-hmm. uh, or a, a fellow female founder that can give you a sample of a pitch deck. See if you can get your hands on one. But I, I really like to see a good pitch deck, which includes 15 things that, you know, what's the problem you're solving? What's the solution? How big is the market? Um, what, oh, no one ever has this. Like, what's your um, business model? How are you going to make money? Yeah. Um, and then a lot of people don't, even early stage founders don't put in their financial projections, which I think is important. Like, even if it's going to change, make some assumptions. Like, do you think you're going to get the Walmart customer? Do you think you're going to get, what are your, some of your assumptions? And then who are your customers? You know, I mean, excuse me, who are your, yeah. Who are your customers, potential customers? Who are your competitors? Yeah. A lot, a lot of founders, they're very into their startup. I was, and you, you leave off competitors. Like you got to oh, really, yeah. You know, because that's part of our job is what we do in our at Blazing Babes. We'll literally go and see. Oh my God, they're missing two competitors, and and that's kind of a red flag too. And we'll we'll come back and say you you don't have this person, or this company, or this company. But I I really do think your why and a pretty good pitch deck because if you're sending an email to a VC, that's usually the first thing before the call. Usually they ask for a deck, and they their analyst or intern goes through it and they have a checkbox to make sure certain things are there. The other thing is really important for founders that are pitching to VCs for the that first round of funding is research the VC. Find out who else they've invested in or research if it's a new VC, like if, if it's me or I'm an angel investor or you know VC, um, look at his or her background. Um, the other thing is, which is huge is, see if you can get a warm introduction to them. Mm, yeah. Because um, if you can't, um, you know, LinkedIn, you can go through LinkedIn, but usually the warm introductions are are better. Um, you're, you're more apt to get like a call. Yeah. Um, oh, for sure. That's yeah. what I would. Yeah, I love that. Um, I know when I get it, like if you were to refer someone to me, I'd be like, oh yeah, 
I put them at the top of the queue than a cold call or, yeah. a cold email, you know, like um, now I have the opposite question. I want to be a venture capitalist. What do I do? Renata, tell me. Okay. The first thing you should do, I would do is I would join angel groups to be able to get access to amazing deal flow and starting to understand what things you look for in deals, but make sure the angel groups are based on what you're passionate about. If it's funding female founders, specifically focus on female founders. The other thing that I would do is start sourcing your own deals. One of the things that I did, and I always tell the story is I gave up Starbucks for one year and I couldn't believe how much money I was spending on Starbucks. I was spending $5,000 a year on lattes. And I, yeah, I mean, I got one every day, like a lot venti or whatever. And so I gave that up and I just got the little pods, you know, at home. And, you know, it was hard to switch because of the snooty Renata wanting the Starbucks. But now I'm like, I like the at-home coffee better. I wrote my first angel check out of my own pockets for $5,000. And that's when I, and I always will tell that story. So when people say, I don't have money or I can't do it, you can do it. And then the other thing that I would suggest is if money's an issue or you want to just learn how the startup ecosystem works, you you can get a, you can get shares in a startup as an advisor. So if you're really good at, let's say your expertise, you worked in, I don't know, fertility, or you worked in whatever expert manufacturing, you can just be an advisor to a startup, maybe one that you met through one of the angel groups and get some shares and help them with their pitch deck, help them with making custom intros. That's kind of how you get in the ecosystem. And then maybe they'll say, Hey, do you want to put a check into this company? You've worked with us for three months, six months, whatever. Would you like to be an investor? And you say, well, you know, how much would you, 5,000, 10,000, 15,000, whatever. And, you know, get yourself, what I always say is get yourself a really good freelance VC lawyer. So they can help. That's really, really important, especially for women, because we get taken advantage of a lot, uh, especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to finance. And and if you know somebody that can recommend for, I have an amazing woman in Chicago that she's such an advocate for women, both as female founders, as well as female funders. So that she, they can help you look at what the terms are. What's, what should you get for a $10,000 investment in this type of firm for a safe note? How much equity should you get? What should the terms be? Just so you're not taking advantage of. And the founder should do that as well. If you're a founder, you should have a really good lawyer um, to make sure you're that a, an investor is not taking, taking advantage of you. Yeah. But I think the best way is the angel groups. The other thing is there's crowdfunding. You know, you could be, you can get access to funding through the crowdfunding, but the best I think is angel groups and then just writing a direct check into the startup ecosystem. So, and then one thing that's really important, if you want to move into VC and have your own fund, this is really important. And no one ever told me this. I had to figure it out myself is, and this is huge. This is like, secret of the secret of, of VC of track record, quote unquote, track record. When you invest in a startup and time goes by, that startup grows or fails, okay? But what happens is every time they raise their next round, because there's different rounds in raising, their valuation goes up. Every time they get more sales, their valuation goes up. So let's say you got in at a re- lower valuation and now they've and a year goes by and now their valuation go- has gone up. They've had new investors come in. Maybe they have a priced round. You need to show, and you want to, launch a fund and show that you have credibility and picking really good deals. You need to show your LPs, limited partners who would invest in your fund that 
you pick the winners. Look at the valuation. Yeah. I got in it on day one and now it's day 360, whatever, five. And now the valuation has doubled or tripled or what have you. So that's the kind of track when they say traction and you could be an angel. You don't have to have a fund. You could be, you could have your own money and you can just have an LLC and just literally a pool of money invest. and invest. And you've got a hundred deals and you could actually run your LLC like you're running a fund and you don't have to deal with anyone else's money. You just have to report to yourself. Ooh, I love that idea. <laughs> I'm going to, well, one of the long-term goals for bra is to create a bra fund. We want to get the founders to all kind of pool money. We kind of distribute it to the other businesses. I love that. So tell me a little bit about your book. You've mentioned it a couple of times. What, when, when can we purchase this wonderful thing? And when's the book tour? <laughs> oh, you're so nice. I'm finishing it, it probably in the next one to two months. I have a couple, I just have to, the draft will be done. And then um going to start working with an editor and then pitching it to publishers. So that's kind of, I've never done this as my first book. It is about, is a memoir. It's about my journey of reinvention. And I think as women, we have nine lives. We can reinvent each ourselves a million times over and over again. And it's really about overcoming adversity, talks about my divorce, talks about moving into venture capital, talks about finding your sole purpose, your life purpose, talks about supporting women in different transition, career transitions and life transitions from, you know, into motherhood, out of motherhood. Yeah. You know, letting the rope go, focusing on your own self. I know a lot of us put everything into the kids and we, we don't have anything for ourselves at the end of the day. And that is a mistake because not that our kids one day will say, I don't need you anymore. I think our kids will always need us, but I, not as much as the diaper changing days where it's, sure. you know, we're running ragged. But I think, and I think we as women have challenge we're faced with a lot of challenges that no one really talked to us, to us about. Our mothers never really mentioned that, hey, trying to have a really lucrative career and climb the corporate ladder while you're being a really present parent and mother and doing all the unpaid labor at home is not easy. No. And there's a lot of women that either give up one or the other. And I think Michelle Obama said it really well in a, in a talk she was on. We can have it all, but not all at once. Yes. I think she did say that. It's very true. It's very, very true. And it can lead to burnout if you don't, if you try to have it all at once, it can lead to, you know, sacrificing our own health and wellness. And then we're no good to anybody, you know, at that point. I think it's a really important lesson and that we need to keep hearing it constantly. Right. right. And one of the things that Blazing Babes is doing for female founders is what, that we're thinking about is providing financial support for women who are founders and they don't have a caregiver. So being able to give them money, yeah, yeah, to be able to either, and if they don't have children for their own mental health, therapy, exercise, but we feel like if the founder's down, the startup's down. So that's one of the things that we're doing is it's, we, we invest in the whole person, the whole, it's not just the business side. It's, we know as being as as a former founder that, and not having the caregiving needs, you know, running your startup, you can't scale it. If you're also like, I have to go do all this other stuff. And no, yeah. Yeah. It's, you're going to run yourself ragged. That's for sure. So before, 
before we get carried away, I want to hear about Blazing Babes. You've teased it a little bit. Like if anyone listening is curious about becoming a part of your community, what do we have to do? So right now we're relaunching and we're redoing our website. So right now we just have a wait list. So we're creating a wait list and I actually can give you a QR code that can that we can scan. Basically, it's a Google Drive that just puts your name and an email just. But what we do is we provide weekly by weekly virtual events across the U.S., for different topics, which is, you know, how to do a pitch deck, how do you calculate LTV CAC, how much, you know, what is a vetted, some vetted law firms that we should use? Should I be an LLC? Should it be an S Corp? Should I raise debt financing? Should I give away equity? How much Mm. should I give away? You know, how do I vet investors? How do I vet for angel investors? What's too much, you know, how much advisory shares should I give away? What else? We'll have VCs come on and talk and, and talk about what they look for in which is great. So powerful stuff. Yeah. yeah this some is really, really good, really good stuff. That's really great. Wonderful. And do, what, do you have a website you can share? Right now we don't because we're rebuilding. Okay. Oh, you because it's to, being built. That's right. Yeah, but you can go to my, it's a it's a membership portal where you'll, well, you'll log in and there's different tiers. So you'll get access to different levels. And I, and one of the things we do know that female founders, usually early stage t- funds are very tight. So we're going to offer scholarships to women, to five women a year. And, and then I the other thing, that. the other thing that we're going to do is we are, we are a B Corp. So we're a, a certified B Corp benefit corporation, which is an impact mission driven com- organization. And you have to apply for that. And we're going to offer up to 1% of our membership fees to nonprofits that support underserved women. So that's kind of our thing. I love that. No, I love that. There's a large giving back portion of bra too. Like all of our events are benefiting a nonprofit that services women or children. So I love that that's embedded social impact strategies embedded in business is brilliant. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much. Now, before we wrap up, we got to get carried away. So the first thing is, you know, what's something you're totally obsessed with? What's something that gets you excited? Is it puppies? Is it tacos? Like we talked about, um, is it money? What is it? What do you get carried away about? I mean, I, I get, I get carried away. This is a little crazy, but I, this is part of who I am with physical challenges. So I'm a big 4am person. I think having been a four an athlete, but I like signing up for challenges. Oh, I, I just love like I just ran the New York city marathon for the first time, first marathon ever. And I'm 50 years old. So, you know, that was a big challenge. I, it took me a while to train for it. It's really about, I did an ultra marathon during COVID, which is you run the, the, the number of miles per day, given the calendar month. So one April 1st, one mile, April 2nd, two miles accumulative. Yeah. And yeah. And I I ran in February. (laughs) It was, it was freezing and it was in Chicago and, you know, we were doing online learning with the kids and it was just me, single mom. And I literally, and I was taking a venture capital class. And so I had to get up at like two in the morning and run like 15 miles because my kids needed to be up. I mean, literally I had to fit the miles in and it was, I mean, I think I was the skinniest I've ever been. (laughs) Right. You I had to eat well. like double the amount of food, but it was great yeah. because it's, it was less about, I mean, let's put it this way for the ultra marathon I was doing, I had to run and walk. I couldn't run all those miles because my body was breaking down, but I learned a lot about overcoming 
resilience and the mind game, the physical. And I think this is kind of what gets me carried away. If it's a positive thing, it's less about, oh, I did this and a bragging rights. It's more like when I train my mind to say, if my body's like, I am so tired, I just want to go home. But my mind's like, no, Renata, you have to prove it to yourself that you can do this. I don't care if you have to crawl home or crawl the extra mile. And what that does to me, and I think what it does to everyone is when you're in your everyday life, like career, like moving into venture capital, you remember back to your mind when your mind, your body was going to give up and your mind talked your body out of it. So I feel like that directly correlates and reflects things that happen outside of those physical feeds. You know, when our mind says, I can never do that. And you all of a sudden you're like, no, no, no. If I did that, if I ran that marathon, then I can do this. Absolutely. It's, it's so true. It's so, so true. I love that. Wow. I could never run a marathon. Good for you. Yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you can. You should. You should. Okay. You really do it. You start baby steps. Okay. And now my opposite, the opposite of that, what is something that you can't stand that people are, get really obsessed with? I'll give you an example. I don't like football. My husband doesn't watch football. I don't like it. I just, I don't like, but people are obsessed with football. (laughs) Okay. This is actually perfect. Cause you kind of, now I know what to say. I could get slammed for this, but I'm going to say it. I don't, I don't know what it is. I'm going to get slammed. I don't (laughs) like, when I applied to college, everyone's like, oh, are you going to apply to the big 10? And, you know, I didn't, I don't like people who are just fans of the big 10, like, or, or even just like fans of a sport. Like I'd rather play the sport. So people who get obsessed, like it's like football and these fans and they're like, I mean, I, if I'm going to go to an event like a football game or a basketball game, unless it's some, maybe a sport that I played, I only go for social reasons. Like if, and I want to make sure, okay, is it going to be like in the box seats? Are we yeah. going to have like alcohol flowing? Yeah. Is What's that, happening? Yeah. Can I dress up? Like, I don't want to be on unco- I go for socialization. I don't, I don't know. I just feel like I don't understand the fandom yeah. Thing. And I, invest- I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't understand the tailgating part of it. Like when did this like debauchery thing. of behavior, Yes. how is that related? Like it just seems really frat boy energy. And that's, yes, that's what job. it is that, you know what, that's what it is. And I think I just don't understand fans. I don't know. I've never been, I've not, I've never been a fan of a celebrity. I've never been a fan of an athlete. I've never been a fan. I don't, I just treat, I'm never a fan of a sport. I mean, I don't, I don't know. You it's like just, what? but everybody's obsessed with it. I mean, and I invest in sports tech, so I get it that it's a huge thing and people will pay, but I mean, I'll go to a game. I'll go to a soccer game. I'll go, I'm going to the U S open in New York. Cause I'm, I play tennis. I'm a tennis player. And am I a fan? I'm not a, I mean, I'm a fan, but it's cause I played, I don't know. I just yeah. don't, people are obsessed and I, that really, I just can't stand it. Yeah. I love that. Nobody's ever had that answer. Oh my God. I I feel terrible. No, no. Well, thank you so much for getting carried away. If you are listening to this in your car, on your walk, maybe you're running a marathon, who knows, please pause and like, and subscribe and share this with someone who would 
is interested in venture capital or just hearing a great story. Thank you so much, Renata, for joining me. And thanks for getting carried away. Thank you. 